This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Victoria Day, of course, was the unofficial start to the summer. And along with warm weather and all the fun outdoor activities, uh, we should also be thinking of how to protect ourselves from Lyme disease. And unfortunately, Lyme disease cases, cases hit record highs in 2017 with 78 cases in Toronto, 987 in Ontario, and more than 1,400 across the country. Uh, The numbers to call if you have questions, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Now we are going to Janet Sperling, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Alberta. She's studying the microbiome of the gut of Canadian ticks and is a board member of the Canadian Lyme Disease Foundation. And Arlene Rill in Hampstead, Quebec, and she is a Lyme disease sufferer. Ladies, thanks so much for being with us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, afternoon, Janet. Okay, uh, let's start with Janet. So uh, why has the population of ticks been expanding? Our climate has been changing, and so the conditions are better for the ticks to be able to establish so that as they come up on the migratory birds, it's more likely that the tick population can exist from one year to the next. So this is something to do with, uh, you know, our, our uh, climate is getting easier for the ticks. I think we've also got a lot more movement of the dogs and the people are moving back and forth. We're traveling with our dogs more often. So we're bringing dogs from areas where they're picking up the tick and then they're bringing them home. Uh, and so uh, do, do the, the disease gets passed from our pets then? Uh, that's really unlikely. Uh, what happens is that the bacteria is found in the tick and then it's transmitted to the person via the tick. But the dog rarely actually carries the uh, bacteria. So the dog could establish a population or at least help to establish a population. But generally you're going to have something like a mouse or maybe a chipmunk in this cycle. So that your dog might come bring the tick into your yard. You might have a little population of ticks, but it's really unlikely for the dog to transmit directly to the human. But it's the dog so this, that's, that's bringing it into your sphere as opposed to you getting it on a hike. Is that what you're uh, well, saying? On, on, on occasion, yes. I think that probably the most likely place for somebody in Toronto would be when you go out walking in the woods. So you could go out walking in the woods and having a great day. The important thing to remember is that, you know, maybe 20 years ago when people were hiking in that area, they were unlikely to run into a tick. But because we've got warmer weather, you're more likely to run into a tick nowadays. Okay, uh, Arlene Rill, uh, tell me about your experience. Uh, how long have you had Lyme disease? How has it affected you? Well, I've had Lyme disease since 2014, June of 2014. Mm-hmm. And 
I did get it walking my dogs. I'm 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 ninety nine percent sure uh, in a bird sanctuary, mm-hmm. and so it is the perfect place for ticks to be. It's boggy. It's leafy. It's full of birds, and uh, I was very ignorant. I was very Lyme illiterate. Mm-hmm. I had absolutely no idea. So I only started getting symptoms about, I don't know, 30 days later. But I did see the bite. I did go to an infectious disease doctor, and I was told it's not Lyme. They did the Lyme serology immediately, which does not work. Um, I suffered for years because I could not get help in Canada until recently, but I had to travel for the help. And how long did it take you to get a diagnosis? Um, I was diagnosed in 2015, December. I should have been diagnosed in 2015, December. But uh, the Canadian doctors don't accept testing from outside Canada. So I was not considered a Lyme patient. Okay. Um, Janet, uh, when should people suspect uh, Lyme disease? I know that if you, have a, if you have a bite and the tick is still there, you're supposed to keep the tick, right? Right. Uh, right. There's no question, first of all, that the story that we've just heard happens all too often mm-hmm. in Canada. There's a mistaken uh, feeling that people will, if you just go to the doctor and you say, oh, you know, I think I have Lyme disease, that you're going to get this great reception that the doctor is going to say, oh, yeah, it looks like Lyme disease. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of really dogmatic statements, and the doctors are often under the impression that you're very unlikely to get Lyme disease in, uh, like, for example, in Toronto. Um, And I'm afraid things have changed. So we need to keep that in mind. If you get bit by the tick and if you get a rash, you're actually very lucky because Mm -hmm. you can't go to the doctor. You can say, this is the tick that bit me. This is the rash I got from that tick. I think it looks like Lyme disease. And if all those things kind of fall together, then you probably will get treated. At least if you don't get treated, go and get a second opinion. And the second opinion doctor will probably say, yes, yes, I think we'd better treat. Probably is the key word, right? (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Because we Um, have so many doctors. I went with all the evidence, and I was told it was a tick bite, but I was told there there is no Lyme in Montreal. Which was not true. It's not true, I'm afraid. Yeah, and I I feel really, really badly that a lot of people have suffered terribly because of this. And so it's something that we really need to change. We really need people to understand that if they believe that they've been bitten by a tick and if they believe that they've got any kind of flu-like symptoms with or without the rash, they need to go to the doctor. And I'm afraid it's a situation where you need to be quite assertive. You need to say, no, I'm sorry. I really, I'm sick. I know I'm sick. Okay. Uh, Our lines are are filling up. So uh, um, may I just add one one more thing? You said 1,400 reported cases across the country. Yes. Those are, you said 1,400 cases. Those are 1,400 reported cases. Yeah, okay. Absolutely right that it's underreported and underdiagnosed. Oh, my goodness. Very good point. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, let's get to the phones. We've got uh, 
Lisa and Barry. Hello, Lisa. Your daughter has Lyme disease. That's right. My daughter's 14 years old, and uh, similar to the last caller, she was infected in the summer of 2014. Now, she did have a very clear bullseye rash. We were told to watch and wait for symptoms, and she didn't have any uh, symptoms immediately. So um, I think that adds another element to it because you were just saying that uh, immediate symptoms is something that warrants treatment, but a bullseye rash, as we've learned, is 100% diagnostic of Lyme. Um, but only 9% of patients present with a classic bullseye rash. My daughter did have the rash. Our doctor was not educated and did not know that that meant Lyme. Mm -hmm. And for about two years, I'd say she had sort of a weakened immune system looking back, but there was nothing, uh, none of the telltale signs. And then two years in, she became very sick. Uh, We went to a pediatrician and were referred to Sick Kids Hospital. We had tons of testing done on her, nothing Uh, came back. In fact, they told us that she was perfectly healthy, and they started to talk about uh, depression and anxiety, which my child has never suffered from. And it wasn't until August of 2017 that we learned what that bullseye rash actually meant, and my daughter by that time was experiencing intense neurological symptoms, a very steep decline. She's currently in a wheelchair and has spent almost the last year primarily bedridden. She's missed all of grade 7 and grade 8. We have had to travel across the country to seek out a doctor outside of our normal medical system, even uh, medical doctors who are treating Lyme uh, in Ontario, you pay out of pocket because it does not go through OHIP. Um, it's a very, it's a scary place to be as a mom. It's a scary place to be as a patient that you have to vet your own doctor and, uh, you know, find your own treatment and then fight for it. It's, mm-hmm. I, it's it, I'm so sorry to hear this. Um, Lisa, uh, if you can uh, hang on, and we are going to get to our other callers right now. We have to take another break. Uh, so everybody, hang on, and we'll be right back. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, we are talking about Lyme disease, and uh, there are a lot of people uh, waiting to have their say. Uh, Lisa, I've, I've got to let you go. Thank you so much for sharing your story, and I, I'm, I'm so sorry it, it had to be that way, and I uh, wish you all the best. Uh, I mean, is there a timeline for your daughter? I don't think anyone with chronic Lyme has a timeline prognosis. Everyone seems to respond differently to treatment. I think the thing that people need to know is that catching an acute case is very difficult. It's a hard-to-diagnose disease, but it's important because when we let it get to the chronic stage, we're now stuck with it for life. Lisa, uh, again, thank you so much for sharing your story and all the best to you and your daughter. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Ellen in Hamilton. Hello, Ellen. Hello, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Go ahead. Hi. Um, Yes, I'm actually the president of Lyme, Ontario, and I just wanted to let people know that we are holding our third annual walk for hope this weekend in Burlington. Um, All money's raised. Actually, half of the proceeds this year will be going to the G. McDotta Foundation in Guelph. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a question uh, about the disease itself, Ellen? No, I have Lyme disease myself. Uh huh. Um, I was actually um, raised in Long Point, Turkey Point. Spent so many summers in that area. Um, I tested positive too. Liza positive in Canada and was still denied treatment. Um, a lot of people don't realize how deadly this disease is. We at Lyme Ontario receive. So many emails weekly of people looking for where to go 
Um, what can they do? How do they get treatment? Um, it's a real endemic a- uh, area that we're living in, and people need to start being able to get the correct treatment, and the suffering needs to stop. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ellen, thanks for that. Um, Janet, uh, what should people do? First of all, uh, how do you suspect it, and then what should what should people do? Yeah, well, the, the important thing is to remember that you can get Lyme disease, and often people just, it's not on their radar. So if you know that you're an otherwise healthy person and you've got this terrible summer flu, nothing is making sense. For example, you go to the doctor and the doctor's tested for everything. Then you have to say, okay, maybe it is Lyme disease. Let's take it to the next level. Because the diagnosis, although it's very straightforward, and as we had this example, if you get the tick bite and if you get that rash, you're supposed to be treated. But a lot of people are not getting treated. And what does the rash look like? Remind me. Um, A spreading rash, basically. Anywhere it's centered on where the tick bit you, and then it spreads out from there. And you have migraines. Exactly. It's called erythema migraines. And so it would head out. But the whole concept of having it look like a bullseye is actually a minority of rashes. So that... All you can say is that it's kind of, it looks like a circle, it looks like a rash, but sometimes it has jagged edges, sometimes it has very circular edges, but the important thing is that it's moving outwards. And I've seen them where it's so big that basically it runs like over the top of the shoulder and, you know, around onto the back. So it's a a rash that continues to move out. Sometimes you don't even see that initial rash. Sometimes it's in your hair or maybe you just plainly missed it. And then sometime later, you're going to see multiple little spreading rashes. And that happens. Sometimes people have been camping. They missed the initial, uh, that little window where it was easy to see. And they'll come back in the middle of winter. They'll look at themselves and they'll think, I'm covered with these weird spreading rashes. And so that's something that to kind of keep in mind that we have Lyme disease. It's a difficult diagnosis. So don't just say, oh, well, it couldn't possibly be Lyme disease because I didn't visit, for example, Long Point, Ontario. It's everywhere in Canada, mm-hmm. and it's more likely in some places and less likely in other places, but it's certainly possible anywhere in Canada. Okay, let's uh, hear from Dave in Brampton. Hi, Dave. Hi. My daughter has Lyme disease. Sorry to hear that. And her doctor, basically, with the diagnosis she got for, through a natural path, and they sent it to Germany and the United States. She paid mm-hmm. somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,500 to have this done. And the doctor looked at it and said, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, that's because the doctors don't know what to do with it either. Well, he basically doesn't think it's Lyme disease. Now, she's had it for approximately five years because all he ever told her, uh, she'd complain about something. He'd say, oh, it's because of your job. Oh, it's because you've got kids. You're stressed. Mm-hmm. And that's all he gave her. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's um, they don't you know, seem to want to do anything about it. Well, it's, 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 it's really an issue when doctors are not educated um, about these things. And, and I guess one of, the, one of the first things that has to be done is, is get some better education for GPs. Well, I think what they're telling us, basically, is that Lyme disease is still across the border. It's not in Canada. 
Well, we've just heard that that's not true. It is in I know, Canada. But that's and it's, you talk it's, to a, a lot of doctors, and they'll tell you, no, it's not here. It's because they don't know differently. They they haven't been taught. They're not. They're still not taught in schools. Now, um, the uh, doctor. Now, my daughter's also got another doctor she's dealing with, which is a medical doctor, and he said that the Lyme disease also, if you've got it, you can sexually transmit it to your partner. Yes, that's true. Yes. That's- uh, uh, so uh, I, I have thanks, Dave, for your call. Appreciate it, and best to your daughter. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Uh, there was some talk about the acute phase where it's easier to treat to the chronic phase. So, how long does the acute phase last? Three weeks. Three weeks. Correct, Janet. Um, sure, and and yet, I mean, it's one of these things that there's no easy answer, and I realize everybody's sort of hoping that you can put a little bar on one side and the other, that a lot of people can have Lyme disease for maybe up to a year, and they still respond really, really well to the treatment. So one of my concerns, and this is sort of... And what is the treatment? Antibiotics. So it's it's really quite straightforward. Uh, you know, we're very used to dealing with antibiotics. We don't like to use antibiotics unnecessarily, but if somebody is sick and they get antibiotics early, then generally it's a reasonable amount of antibiotics and they carry on with their life and end of the story. But if you leave and you miss that little window, which is somewhere, you know, about a year, then it becomes really, really difficult to treat. And it takes combination antibiotics. And even then, some people don't get better. Okay, let's go to uh, Jerry in Burlington. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Um, Yeah, concerning the ticks, um, and it's, uh, I have a sort of suggestion as to how to remove the the tick if necessary, uh, because there are different theories of using tweezers, uh, you know, one way and another way. I have seen a video where somebody used peppermint oil. No. No? Okay. No oil. I just said, and I, I mean, you know, it would be at the discretion of the whoever, but I have seen a video where... Okay, Jerry. Yeah, go uh, ahead. We have the experts on the line, and if they're rushing in to say no, uh, they know what they're talking about. Thanks for your call. Pointy tweezers are the best. Yeah. Straight up. Okay, so what do you do with the tweezers? You just pull it you off? You put it right, right at the, the, the neck of the, the tick. And you're between the, your skin and the tick, and you, you pull straight out, and you don't twist because you do not want that tick to get angry and regurgitate into your bloodstream. Okay, uh, okay. Um, and are there videos of that online? There should be. Okay. I, I honestly don't know, but uh, there should be. Removing a tick exactly. with pointy tweezers. Yeah, this is Janet. There, there are plenty of. Uh, videos showing how to remove the tick. And one thing, I just to sort of take the word neck, I prefer to use the word mouth parts of the yes, tick yeah. because you do want to get just the little pointy part that's in you. That's where you want to grasp. And that's because you don't want to end up pushing on the tick and then pushing the gut contents back into you. Right? Okay, you know you know what we're going to do? We, we're going to... Um, Find a, a reliable video, and we are going to post it on our website for people to see. And uh, William and Bradford, we have very little time left, so please, uh, your question, your comment quickly. Yes, Libby, I just want to mention that uh, I got bit by two ticks 
one on my hip and another and another spot. And I never got Lyme disease, but I went to the uh, doctor. They took me in. I pulled the ticks out myself. I didn't save them, but uh, uh, I never. I um, they gave me a little pill to take, and that's all. They said that I would be okay after that. So I thought maybe I could just share that with you. Okay. How long ago was that? It was about uh, three years ago, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not all ticks carry Lyme. The bacteria. Uh-huh. Not all ticks carry that, that bacteria, so maybe those ticks didn't carry it. Yes, I might have been the lucky one. You might have been the lucky winner. Okay, thank you very much. I'm sorry to take Okay, and uh, now we have uh, literally very little time left. Robin, Mississauga, what's your question? My question is, where does the disease hide when, when you get bitten? It, the tick tra- uh, transmits, is it in the blood? Is it in your soft tissue? Does, does it go into the bones? Like, where does the, this it virus hide? It in your blood. In the blood. That's where, well, that's sure. where you can try and stop it, actually. Well, sure, exactly. It, it starts off in your blood, but it leaves the blood really quickly, which is why a lot of the blood testing is flawed. That mm-hmm. if it's not in the blood, then that's really the wrong tissue to test. And that's some of the concern that we have. If you test blood, you're not necessarily going to pick up the Borrelia. It goes for collagen. It's preferred places to hang out in collagen, where it hides tissue. from your immune system. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, as I keep saying, uh, we're uh, rapidly running out of time. Uh, Arlene, what would you like to leave us with in terms of how this is affecting your life? Well, it's been affecting my life for so long, it's always a new normal. You know, every, every day is a new normal. Um, I can't do the things that I used to do uh, due to physical disability, due to my knees. I've had surgery on my knee, um, which is probably Lyme-related. There there are just, I can't work. Um, Life is different. Life is very different. But what I really try to do is help people, you know, to educate people. And to, to give them, to arm them with something, like if their child is bitten, uh, to arm them with information to take to the hospital with them and demand the antibiotics. Uh, okay. Because doxycycline for four weeks, they give children doxycycline for, and, uh, for acne for years. I don't think four weeks is going to, it, w- it will make a difference in someone's life. Okay, and Janet, uh, very quickly, what would you like to leave us with? Um, I'd like to say that we fear the things that we don't understand. But you'll be glad to know that the moment that you understand about ticks and about um, this concern that you have with Lyme disease, then you can start treating it like a bear. And when we go walking in bear country, we carry our bear spray. We remember, you know, we carry bear bells. We keep in the back of our mind that we might run into a bear. And then most of us just don't have a problem. So education, yeah, it's a really important thing. So I'd like to say thank you very much. And the more people who go out there and learn what a tick looks like and what to do if they actually encounter a tick, the better off we all are. Exactly. Okay. And there are better sprays that, that out there that are repellent. Am okay. I correct? Okay. Um, well, I know some people prefer a caridin. It's it's what they yes. use in Europe, and uh, you can certainly buy that. And some yeah, that's people at Walmart prefer, actually. 
Yeah, exactly. Or, or yeah, exactly. There's a number of places you can get it. Pericardium. Okay, ladies, ladies. Yes. (laughs) We are basically out of time. We uh, definitely have to uh, revisit this topic. Uh, So thank you both very much for for talking about this. And we're going to come back to it uh, very soon because there were a lot of questions we had to leave on the line. Thank you both very much. Okay, thank you. Okay, and that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. And we now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.